The Silicon Valley Beat, Major Crimes, is a podcast that deep dives into major cases investigated by the Mountain View Police Department. Because this podcast covers investigations including critical incidents and homicides, what we discuss here may contain material that is not suitable for all listeners. Names and other sensitive information may be changed to protect the identity of the innocent. On last week's episode, a new lead brought a new hope to a decades-old cold case. But as we began to reinvestigate the case, Saba's life in and around Mountain View continued to remain shrouded in mystery, even more than two decades later. But with DNA evidence now tying a known criminal to the case, the question becomes, how did Daniel Garcia know Saba Gamay? This is the Silicon Valley Beat, Major Crimes. It wasn't a fight. I didn't hit her. She scratched me. End of story. You know what I mean? I didn't fight her physically, hit her physically, do anything to her. Um, but like we were saying, this is the old Daniel. Okay, you're the new Daniel. I snapped when she jumped in the car. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Where are you going? You know what I mean? Episode 4. Who is Daniel Garcia? At the time, Garcia's formative years were spent in a city once known as being part of the Valley of Heart's Delight. San Jose, once a bountiful farming and orchard community, began to shift into more of a concrete jungle towards the 1980s, with the impetus of Silicon Valley beginning to show in companies that planted their seeds in and around the area, including Intel and IBM. San Jose's population in the 1980s boasted more than 620,000 people, up from less than 450,000 just a decade earlier. Today, San Jose is home to more than a million people, making it one of the largest cities in the country. Fresno, Garcia's new home, very much mirrored the growth of San Jose. Once a small farming community, Fresno has grown into a city of more than half a million people, making it the fifth most populous city in the state. San Jose is the third most populous. Daniel Garcia was no stranger to brushes with the law. In and out of the justice system for a majority of his adult life, the arrest record for Garcia was decades old, with crimes running the gamut. In fact, his adult record begins when he was just 20 years old, living in the San Jose area. In the span of seven years, from 1979 to 1986, Garcia was arrested five times by the San Jose Police Department. His arrests included multiple incidents where he was under the influence of a controlled substance and at least once he resisted arrest. His record begins to show even more aggressive behavior after he moved to the Fresno area. He was arrested for willfully harming a child, assault, sexual battery, and driving under the influence, among other charges. His last arrest, in December 2012, was just one month before he would meet Detective Chris Kikuchi and Investigator Nate Wandruff. But his arrest record doesn't make up all of who Daniel Garcia is. Like every person, there's more to his story. Daniel Garcia also is a father of four. He is a brother, and he has a father who lives in Mexico, but they aren't close. Daniel was a Bay Area native, born in San Jose, where he actually lived in the 1980s after he left high school in Fresno. At least one former girlfriend would describe him as cool. 
When speaking with investigators, Garcia noted if he had stayed in high school, he would have graduated in 1978. Daniel Garcia is also a recovering drug addict. After dropping out of school, Garcia worked various labor jobs, digging trenches, and working on construction sites. He was exposed early to drugs, the seventh grade, he later recalled, starting with uppers and downers. He avoided heroin, though, because a family member had died after using the drug, he stated. Garcia was sure of one thing, though. When it came to his preference when he was using, his favorite drug was PCP. You are about to learn of a new and dangerous drug that many teenagers are using. It is called angel dust, or PCP. It has only one legitimate use, and that is to tranquilize wild animals. Now, however, it is being mixed with marijuana and smoked. Parents, and especially teenagers, should watch this broadcast. For many teenagers are experimenting with this deadly drug, thinking it to be harmless. But Dr. Diane Sexsmith, head of the emergency unit at Harlem Hospital, knows otherwise. The most frightening thing about usage of angel dust or PCP fencyclidine is that the uh, side effects of it, when it uh, does not produce the normal predictable marijuana type high, uh, are that the side effects can be quite dangerous. The most frightening side effect is violence. Many of the patients we see can become quite psychotic. They hallucinate. They're unable to speak correctly. They scream and yell and are quite frightened of things that are not there. In fact, it appears to manifest all the symptoms of someone that has a classic case of schizophrenia. Hello. Fencycadine, sometimes known as angel dust, rocket fuel, killer weed, or the peace pill, is actually an anesthetic. It sedates its users, creating a trance-like effect. Those who use PCP have described its effects as creating an out-of-body experience. When someone uses PCP, they can, among other effects, experience hallucinations, delusions, and paranoia, and a person can become exceptionally violent at the peak of their high. The drug is highly addictive and can be fatal. According to Garcia, he used PCP for about 15 years, beginning after high school. He used PCP until just before 2000, when while high, he was involved in a serious collision that injured a woman. While in Fresno, for example, Garcia said he and others engaged in a water fight in a backyard of a home. Police were called at some point, and when officers arrived, one of them attempted to grab Garcia, and he noted that he thought it was a friend and actually flipped him over. In another instance, Garcia experienced such intense hallucinations and paranoia during one high that he broke all of the windows at his mother's home in Fresno, and yet another time, he removed all of his clothes. Garcia recognized he needed help after his collision in 1999, and he stayed sober for more than 13 years, he said. Between 1984 and 1987, Garcia lived in and around the downtown area in San Jose. Though he didn't have a license to drive, he said he still drove around in his sister's purple 1968 Chevrolet Impala. When she took the car back, Garcia remembered buying a late 1960s plum-colored Plymouth Fury, which had a loud aftermarket exhaust. He had that car for less than a year. According to Garcia, one day the car experienced mechanical issues, so he dumped it in the Pacheco Pass 
and it was impounded. He never saw it again. Garcia knew the Mountain View area, too, confiding at one point he even had an aunt that lived in the area. He knew of Moffat Field, but it had been years, perhaps, since he had been back. During some of his time living in San Jose, Garcia noted that he lived near a 7-Eleven in a complex on Reed Street. At the time, he lived there with his cousin and his cousin's girlfriend. This simple statement may become very important later. It was in that complex that Garcia first met Saba. Saba made quite an impression on Garcia, it seems. In speaking with investigators, he recalled her as being thin and wild. When shown a picture of her nearly three decades later in 2013, Garcia didn't hesitate in his acknowledgement that he recognized her. I've seen her, he said, underwhelmingly. When another picture was provided by investigator Wandruff, who, for clarification, asked if it was possible that Garcia maybe didn't recognize Saba, or if perhaps he thought she was maybe a different woman. No, Garcia said. I remember that face. Here is Daniel Garcia talking about Saba as he knew her back in 1985. Just a quick warning. What you are about to hear are portions of the actual interview with Daniel Garcia and the investigators. There may be content and language not appropriate for all listeners. Discretion is advised. To me, she was just a happy, fluky, money-making girl. Yeah, she would come around sometimes with no shoes, no jacket, no nothing, freezing, hungry. And if you were drinking, she wanted your beer. If you were getting high, she wanted to get high. That's how she was. That's how I know her. Hey, I mean, she wasn't my girlfriend. She wasn't nothing to me. She was just a trick around the complex. Yeah, well, she came and left, came and left. That's how she was. She came and left, came and left. But sometimes she'd be gone for two weeks, three weeks, and she'd show up again. In 1985, in fact, Garcia distinctly recalled an incident where Saba, quote, scratched him as he was trying to eat. It wasn't a fight. It wasn't a fight. I didn't hit her. She scratched me. End the story. You know what I mean? I didn't fight her physically, hit her physically, do anything to her. I'm just saying I've never had any contact other than being scratched by her. Sexually, physically, or anything. Besides her slapping me and clawing me. According to Garcia, that was the last time he saw Saba. He moved, he said, sometime after that incident. He said when he went upstairs after the incident occurred, he noticed he was bleeding. He had scratches on his face. When I went upstairs, I could see imprints from her fingers, he noted, but initially that was as far as he provided. The next day, Garcia said, while at work, his father inquired what happened to his face. Garcia explained that he didn't call police about the alleged attack because, in his words, quote, she didn't have anywhere to go. Garcia never told his cousin with whom he lived about the incident, nor, according to Garcia, did his cousin ever ask about the scratches on his face. However, and this is important, this is not what Garcia initially told Kikuchi and Wandruff. In his first iteration of the story, Garcia claimed he told his cousin about the attack and that his cousin laughed. Of course I was mad, but like I said, I wouldn't hit a woman. I never have. She scratched me and I went inside and that was the end of it, according to Garcia. Yeah, I, well, of course I was mad, but like I said, I won't hit a woman. Never have. Okay. Let me, let me go. me and I went inside and that was the end of it. We got into a, a conflict there and she scratched me on my face. And when she did that, I went into my room. Why did you have a conflict? Huh? Why did you have a conflict with her? 
because I was eating McDonald's and she wanted my dinner because she was hungry. Share a hamburger with me. Share this with me. Do this with me. I said, you need to leave. You don't even live here. And she grabbed one of my beers and I grabbed it back and she went like a cat. What did you do? I went. I went inside. I didn't want no fight with the girl. A reasonable and plausible explanation as to why Garcia's DNA was under Saba's fingernails. Wandruff and Kikuchi had just spent two hours in a room with a man who they thought was the killer. And now this? Countless hours of planning, a three-hour drive to Fresno, all leading up to this moment of what exactly? Was it really time to give up? Was this the last lead, the last hope for this case? Another half hour went by. Investigator Wandruff again reminded Garcia that his DNA was on Saba. She scratched me, he replied matter-of-factly. Wandruff pulled out a photo of Saba's tombstone. Garcia looked at it, but denied he had done anything to her. I don't know, man, I didn't do it. Didn't do what? This right here. I know what that is. It's a tombstone. I've been telling you the truth. I don't know what happened to her. I didn't do this right here. I would never take anybody's life. Perhaps this was it. Perhaps this was, in fact, the end. Perhaps Saba's killer had once again slipped free. One last shot, asking simply for the truth. It's how you want to be perceived, how you want people to look at you behind this incident. Just the truth, that's all we want. And then, something incredible happened. I don't even know if I'm going to walk out of this room right now. I got a lot to lose. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Silicon Valley Beat Major Crimes. For more details and for credit for the music and other source material used throughout our podcast, please visit the episode's website at pippa.io.